Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading tonight from the Old Testament before we begin our lesson is from Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, in the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah, his wife. You may be seated. If I could start out tonight with something sort of personal, um, this past week we buried my father, and the funeral was... Uh, went, went uh, every bit as good as I had hoped it would, uh, and we had a good crowd. We had a number of people from West Huntsville to make that long trip, and that was um, so very kind. I've received so many cards, and for those, I'm very grateful. In my work, of course, I'm on the other side of this, have been most of the time, and to be on this side is a little different, as you can imagine, and it just... Um, fills me with a lot of gratitude. I appreciate all that has been said to me and all of these different kinds of expressions of sympathy, and, and I thank you. And it, uh, I, you know, the problem with being a preacher is that when you go ahead and live life, and most of, most of us preachers are humans, and when you do that, you go through the living part of it, it's inevitable that sometimes what's going on in life is going to bleed over into your preaching. And so I don't, I, I'm just going to tell you that. And so tonight's lesson is, is about, well, frankly, death. But I hope an approach that will be interesting to you, it is to me, and, and something uh, that will give you something to launch into your week and to think about. The word euphemism is probably familiar to most, uh, most of you. Euphemism is, is a word or a phrase that we would use in place of another. There would be some sort of a, an expression or a word that might be too harsh. Or maybe it would be a bad word, a foul word. We wouldn't say that word. But we might use a euphemism. And, and it means something not so blunt, not something, something softer, a word softer. And my grandson Ezra and I were walk, uh, riding in the car yesterday, and he's eight years old and he's going to second grade. And he's in public school, so he's hearing words that he hasn't heard before that are bad words, and he is, he is uh, wanting to get this straight. I want to know what, what this means, and is this a bad word? And, and it, so he used a euphemism. He said, now, is this a bad word? And I'm not going to tell you the word, but anyway, he's, it was a euphemism. So it, it wasn't a, a terribly bad word. I said, well, it depends on how you use it. If you use the word this way, uh, it's, it's not a bad word. It's a fine word to use, but sometimes people use it instead of saying this really bad word, and then I think it would be wrong to use it because it makes people think of that very bad word. And, I, and so 
frankly, you know, if you're a, if you're a grandfather or a grandmother, it's, it's a rather wonderful thing that, that they feel like they can just talk to you about. And he's not embarrassed. He, so he said, well, what, what word do you mean that it's like? And so I, I said, well, I don't want to say it. I'll spell it to you. But that was probably a mistake because he can spell it out now and read. And so he just said the word with those eyes, you know, and Papa, what does that mean? And in this case, I said, I tell you what, you're not old enough for me to explain that right now, but I'll explain it to you when you get a little older. For now, just know that we don't say that word. And the other word that you asked me about, when it's like that, we're not going to say that. And then I gave some some examples so that he would know what I was talking about. Now, you're probably wondering what that has to do with the sermon. Well, it has to do this. We, We use euphemisms very commonly in reference to the subject of death. We... When, uh, when the nurse called me last uh, week and a half ago on Wednesday and said uh, that my father had, had died, she didn't say your father has died. She said your father has passed away, which was fine. I understood. That communicated very well to me. When I was a younger preacher, I can remember being in a hospital with a family uh, and, and a surgery. We, we were waiting on the surgery results, and, and it was touch and go. It was, a, it was not a good circumstance. But everybody wanted her so much to live. And Dr. Ernest Cupper, and Brother Cupper was a Christian, a member of the church where I preached. He was a friend of mine. And he was the surgeon in this case. And so he, when he came and opened the door, you can imagine that the, every eye in the room just lasered onto him. Everybody locked onto him. And he walked in and he said, Mrs. Brown has died. And it, it took me back a little bit. Because he didn't use any euphemisms. He didn't use any, and I, you know, and I, I knew him well. He was a devout Christian, is still devout Christian, a humble and good man. And, and I didn't, you know, I, I was there just to be a presence and to comfort when I could. And he, was, he, st- he hung around and he was wonderful. But I went to him later and I said, okay, I know that you've thought this out because you're a thinking man. Tell me what you were thinking when you used that. Why did you do it that way? Very, very blunt. And, and you can imagine what he said. He said, if you use softer language, you run the risk that people are, are going to have a little confusion in there. You need to say it straight, and then they can start their grieving. So you say it very, very plainly. And I really appreciated that. I, I think it influenced me in some situations. When you go to Scripture, and there, here's, I'm getting to where the sermon is now. So this is the point of the sermon. The Bible has many euphemisms for death. That are some are just plainly. I'll show you. I'll show you the one that I think rises to the surface of being the the most obvious euphemism to soften the bluntness of the word "die." And Jesus used it, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to give you seven of them. So that'll be the sermon for tonight. Seven ways that, or I'm going to go ahead and just say euphemisms in Scripture for death. Seven of them. All right, let's go. The first one is in Genesis 25 and verse 8 that I read a while ago. It is, gave up the ghost. Gave up the ghost. And so here's Abraham's death. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Gave up the ghost is found ten times in the King James translation of the Bible. So it's a common phraseology. You, you find it in all four gospel accounts relative to the death of Jesus. And, and I would assume that, that the purpose was to make sure 
that everybody understood that Jesus had died on that cross, that his soul left his body. And if you're familiar with other passages relative to death, then you understand what that means. Gave up the ghost just brings our mind back to James chapter 2 and verse 26, which says the body without the spirit is dead. That's what it means. And Jesus gave up the ghost. Now, here's what Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle. The ESV says my body, even as our Lord Jesus has shown me. I'm going to put off. That's what death. That's how he described death. I'm going to put off this tabernacle. Which reminds me that, that you had some Greek and Roman philosophers that would speak of the body, the physical body. And they understood that we had a soul. They, they figured that out, even separate from Scripture. They were able to figure that out. But they felt like that the human body was, was bad and was, was a, a prison for the soul. One said, the body is a tomb. Another said, thou art a poor soul burdened with a corpse. Another said, I'm a higher being and born for higher things than to be the slave of my body, which I look upon as only a shackle put upon my freedom. In so detestable a habitation dwells the free soul. Well, I understand what they're saying, but the Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible would rather say that now you live in this physical body. Aren't you thankful for your physical body? It is the tent. It's the tabernacle for your soul. It's the place where you live right now. And you're not going to live in this house, this tent forever. You're going to live for a period of time, and then you're going to, I started to say, pass away. That's kind of strange in this sermon. You're going to give up the ghost. That's what's going to happen. But when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, that's not how he described it. Here's 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that that's on subject, that's just what we're talking about. If it was dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. I tell you what, I've been around some very sick people. Christians who had grown very, very ill, and for them, death was not a terrible tragedy. They, they rather were eager for the soul to take its leave. And he describes something like that here. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that has wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we're always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, the question they were asking was this. When my soul leaves the body, when, the, when you have this separation that Abraham was described by, soul from body, will my body just be in limbo? Will it just float out there in some unknown space? And Paul says, no, no, what's, what's going to happen is that, that, you, that you're going to be swallowed up of life. And this, this, this body that was here, it's, it's no longer going to be where you are. You're going to have a new body, a different body, an eternal body, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
We don't cease to exist when we die. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. So, the first one is, he gave up the ghost. Now, I like the second one too. Ready? Going the way of all the earth. Each one of these has meaning, a depth attached to it. And this one, I think it's just very comforting. It gives us a perspective of life, and that is that... None of us are going to live here forever. And, and if, you, if you get close to finishing your life here, you must remember that this is the way of all the earth. I think it's a great way to describe it. So we go to Joshua 23, and this is Joshua, verse 14, describing his upcoming death. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. But listen to what a great leader he was. And you know in all your hearts and in your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. I'm going the way of all the earth. In 1 Kings 2 and verse 2, David used that same terminology about his upcoming death. And we've got a lifespan. It's pretty interesting to think about lifespan. All living things have a lifespan. Do you know white-tailed deer has a lifespan of about six or seven years. But you watch that, that box turtle that you almost ran over out there in the country, and you see him around here. We see him out in Gurley, Alabama. A box turtle, if he doesn't get run over, is potentially going to live 50 years. You, you talk about a fish. Smallmouth bass will live six to 14 years. An oak tree, if you leave it alone, if it's undisturbed, can live 500 years. But for humans, in in recent times, recent years, the person who's lived the longest, at least what is recorded, is a lady in France, and she lived 122 years, which is pretty interesting. Psalm 90 and verse 10 you're familiar with. The days of our years are threescore and ten, or 70 years. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, that's 80, yet is their strength Labor and sorrow is soon cut off when we fly away. There have been some very wealthy and powerful men in this world who have spent a great deal of money to try to avoid death. To date, none have been successful very long. And the reason is, Hebrews 9 and 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8 says... There's no man that has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. See, it's the same way of talking about death, going the way of all the earth, and he gave up the ghost. There's no man that has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither has he power in the day of death. Number three, the way of no return. The way of no return. And this one's used by Job and just let, it, just let it settle down in your mind a few minutes, and you'll get this, why it's so significant. And the way that Job used it is this in 1622, When a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. You go to some of the Eastern religions, and what you find is a lot of teaching about reincarnation. And the idea is that we have a soul, but when we get through with it, this body is no longer a suitable house for the soul. The spirit of ours, the soul, will then go take up it's lodging in another body, and that's going to be sort of perennial. That goes on and on and on, same soul, different body. But, but Job didn't believe that. 
Job says, I'm going to a place from which I will not return. It is appointed unto man once to die. I, I've had a couple of times in my life, not very often, mind you, but a couple of times in my life when people have told me that they have died and come back again. And I try to say it very gently every time I say it because they really believe that this is what happened. But to say, now, you know, the, the good book says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. So in truth, you only die one time, just once. No reincarnation, the way of no return. Now here's number, number four. This one is the one that I was pointing to that is truly a euphemism. And it's the word sleep to describe death. And we go to some extreme, some, we, we take a great deal of effort to try, in, in America anyway, and if we practice embalming in a particular case, we, we want our loved one to appear to be asleep. So we want to sort of encourage this euphemism. Well, it was Jesus who used it in John chapter 11 with reference to, to Lazarus. And and he and his disciples heard that Lazarus was very sick. And, and Jesus' response was, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to awaken him. Now, the disciples did not want to go. They, they, this trip was dangerous. They did, it was risky. They didn't want to go and do this. And so when Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, their response was, you know what? He's going to be all right, Lord. There's no reason for us to make that trip. He's going to be just fine. He'll wake up if he's just sleeping. Howbeit, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, no euphemism now, Lazarus is dead. Why did he say sleep? And I suppose it was because he was trying to not be so blunt about it. I think he was for the same reason that we say pass away or we say expired or something like that. Now, the problem with that is that some have erroneously assumed that that when you die, you have the sleep of death and are thus not conscious of anything. Well, just make sure that everybody's real clear on this. The body is the only thing that's sleeping. The soul continues right on and it's in conscious existence. And you get that from Luke chapter 16 when you read about the rich man and Lazarus. <clears throat> and I know you're familiar with that. I'm going to give you one more passage here. Paul would later say in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not as even as others which have no hope. And then he talks about, he's talking about death, but he uses this euphemism for it, which is sleep, sleep. I'm okay with that. I mean, of course I am. Jesus used it. But the point is that that, 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 uh, that doesn't give me any stress. This whole body of ours, you know, uh, one day will no longer be a suitable house for our soul. And when that occurs, the soul will take its leave. The body, I'm not so concerned about. Again, I'm thankful for this body. It has served me well. God blessed me with this body. And I've got eyes and hands and ears and feet and so many blessings to have a body that I could inhabit, that I could use the way that I have in my life. But it won't last forever. And, and the Bible uses this term sleep, but the soul will never sleep. The soul will never, ever sleep. Now, here's number five. The word is departure. I like this one, departure. Here's Philippians 1.23. And you remember that Paul said, I'm at a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
Okay, it's a euphemism. It, it is a, an abbreviation, I guess, for what you really mean that's a little stronger, a little blunter, which is death. And he used it again, of course, in Second Timothy chapter 4, and that I'm ready to be offered, verse 6, and the time of my departure is at hand. That Greek word is, is one that you would use for striking camp. So you'd loosen the ropes and undo them. You would take down the stakes. You would pull the tent pins. You'd move on. During World War II, it was said that the only thing between the destruction of Britain at one point or, the, or that they would live was, were their pilots. It was the Air Force. It was the Royal Air Force. And at that time, a great number of those pilots were being killed, and, and they knew it when they went into the air, but they were saving Britain. And the, the powers that be, the pilots and all the people who worked on the whole Air Force, started using a different terminology than the word killed. And it was, he was posted to another station. Paul said, depart, the word depart. Now, here's number six. We're going to do seven. Here's number six. And this one goes back to Genesis chapter 25, where we began this evening. Gathered to one's people. <clears throat> and this, this, of course, and you'll remember, is used when Abraham died. He died, gave up uh, the ghost. He died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was, was gathered to his people. Now, they took his body to Mamre, to Machpelah. The only one in that tomb... That cave tomb was his deceased wife, Sarah. It was just Abraham and Sarah. And yet the Bible says that he was gathered to his people. Well, it didn't have anything to do with where he was buried. It had to do with his soul. That's a, that's a wonderful thought because it, it taps into the reality that we're going to know one another in heaven. What difference would it make to me if I was going to be gathered to my people if I couldn't know them when I saw them? It doesn't make any sense. But I tell you what, when you think about going to the other side and there being loved ones with whom you will once again dwell and commune, I'm telling you, that's a, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? I know that you enjoy that as much as I do. And here's the last one. Going to his long home. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 12. <clears throat> the, new, the New King James uses the term eternal home. I like the King James. Either one is accurate. <clears throat> and the verse is this. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high. He's talking about old age and describing the different things that happen to your body as you grow old. You're afraid of that which is high. Fear shall be in the way, the almond tree shall flourish, the grasshopper. Yeah, you, you've had loved ones now gone, and there was a time when you can remember it, when they were energetic and full of life, and the grasshopper one day, though, becomes a burden. Desire shall fail, because man goes to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. There's, there's no measurement of time on this side of eternity that compares to the measurement of time on that side because that side is eternity. That is the, that is the forever 
I sat with a woman in her home. She was in her 80s, mid-80s, I guess. She had a beautiful old house. <clears throat> and I was just making conversation with her. She wasn't a member of the church, but a very sweet lady. And I said, um, this is a beautiful old house. And um, how long have you lived here? Just conversation. That's all, just conversation. And she said, almost every day of my life I've lived here. She said, I was born in this house. And I, I'm, when I found my mate for life, we moved. <clears throat> my husband and I moved away for a very brief amount of time, just a short amount of time, and then came back here. My parents passed away, and, and then I had the house. She was an only child. And then her husband passed away, and so she, she would start and end her life in that house. That, that was her place. And I thought, what a long time. And see, I was a preacher's child, and so... My, my, we moved around. We didn't live in one place for a long, long time. When I thought about that lady, and I thought, wow, that's a, that's a long time to live in a home. But Solomon in Ecclesiastes is talking about something much more significant than that. And he's talking about death, and he uses this terminology, man goes to his long home, to his long home. And when we've been there, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've just begun. I hope there's something here that you, that you can take with you and think about. It's interesting that as, as you have these, some of these which I'm just describing as euphemisms, they're, they're less blunt than just saying death or die. They're something somewhat softer than that. And yet in the scripture, unlike ours where we say expired or passed away, that have little meaning, <clears throat> every one of these has a significance to it, every one. And it helps us to get a handle on this thing called life and, and about eternity. Aren't you glad to be a Christian? i tell you what, when you start thinking along these lines, there is no reasonable response except, <clears throat> I really want to be a Christian I really want to live my life in Christ. And if you're not, but you've been studying on this and you know what it means to obey the gospel and you're ready to do that, repent of your sins and confess him tonight before this congregation. And we'll baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you need prayers tonight, for whatever reason, we're here for you and we'll be so happy to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.